Talent wins games, but teamwork wins championships. Welcome to A Players, the podcast where we'll tell you how to target, hire, retain, and train top performers for your team. I think at every milestone, it just feels like increasingly humbling. Like I remember, I remember like really early on when, you know, the first time we hit like 40,000 dailies and Steve just had this moment where it's like, you realize there's an entire like college football stadium of people showed up today. <laughs> and now we're like, you know, extra three zeros on top of that. It's kind of, it's kind of insane. I am Robin Choi, CEO at HireSuite, and we are sourcing automation software that helps 900 tech companies hire the best talent. Add me and follow me now on LinkedIn if you want to keep an eye on us. Hi, everyone. Today we're having Chris, who is CTO at Reddit. So uh, Reddit needs no introduction, I guess. Welcome, Chris. My first question will be, can you tell us more about your own story? So I heard the Reddit story before, but can you tell us about Reddit story, your own story as a founding engineer? And then we'll talk about A players and top performers. Sure. I think my story is kind of intertwined with, with Reddit. So maybe I'll start kind of at the beginning. So my original career path was in science. I was an academic for most of my early adulthood. Originally wanted to get a, you know, got a PhD in experimental physics, uh, wanted to be a professor, got a little disenchanted later in grad school and ended up getting roped into a, what ended up being a startup with a friend. And the side effect of that was by summer of 2005, I had a failed company two free rooms in my apartment and became the first employee at Reddit. So it was kind of a whirlwind adventure. Definitely wouldn't have predicted this this particular career path. And that's kind of, you know, that is to say it's history. So yeah, so by, by October, so it was in the first Y Combinator batch, summer, summer of 05. I think that at the time there were 10 companies. And if I remember right, the first company imploded one or two weeks into YC. Like I'm not even sure they made it to the first dinner. It was like they had an initial like blow up over IP assignment, which was also like totally enlightening for me being an academic. It's like, oh, assignment of IP, what a, what a novel concept. And then proceeded to, you know, get into it and then get into get into Reddit. And then, you know, the rest of the state history. So at the company for the first five years, saw it through the our, our initial acquisition by Connie Nastin, late 06, uh, stuck around for, for five years, and then went on to another YC company, also founded by Steve Huffman, uh, Hitmonk, in uh, 2010. And then five years there, and now five years back at, at, uh, at Reddit ever since mid-2015. Right. So I heard about that one before. You sold the company, you sold Reddit, created a new company with the same people, and then join Reddit again, right? Pretty much, yeah. I think it was it was a little it was a little bit different. My time at Reddit was a little bit staggered relative to Steve's, for example, in that so Steve originally left Reddit kind of end of 09 and went off and just kind of took a, took an extended vacation and like thought about startups. I stuck around through ten. And then by about midway through 10, Steve had kind of kicked off Hipmunk and they'd gotten into the to the summer of 10 YC batch. And he's like, hey, Chris, want a new job? I'm like, sure. <laughs> so it was a bit of a, it was initially a bit of a, of, a, of some convincing was required, but not, not a heck of a lot. And so that was actually a heck of a lot of, a lot of fun. And if anything, I think that the theme for the early years of Reddit is we actually never really got much into building the company. We got acquired so early, you know, we were basically a four-man shop at the end of 06. And we never really grew much past that point. So we never had more than about five engineers for the first five years, which is a crazy thing to think about in retrospect. Because you know, at the end of at the end of 2010, we were just, you know, I mean, we were still measuring, we're still measuring in the units of page views, but we were doing like a billion page views a month, which is just crazy to do with with a team of five and scale up at that point. Right. And so I checked your curse page actually, so that today's Reddit is 
52 million uh, daily active users, right? Yeah. Yep. 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 Nice and congrats. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's great. It's I think at every milestone, it just feels like increasingly humbling. Like I remember, I remember like really early on when you know the first time we hit like. 40,000 dailies and Steve just had this moment where it's like you realize there's an entire like college football stadium of people showed up today <laughs> and now we're like you know extra three zeros on top of that it's kind of it's kind of it's a country right <laughs> it's a decently sized country and can you give us a few numbers about how that user base grew over the years just to for us to have the milestones and how the, the company grew and then we'll talk about how you grew the team at the same time yeah, so I think in terms of like Reddit's growth has always been very steady. We're kind of different from most most of the other players in the social space insofar as we've never seen explosive growth and we've never seen not growth. It's always been kind of a, a slow, continuous increase. So, you know, at this point, we have more than 100,000 active communities. We do something like 49 billion comments in 2020. And we've got something like 300 million posts uh, last year. So, and those numbers are always bigger than the year before it by a decent fraction. You know, something, something like a 30% roughly, you know, year over year growth at this point. I remember the early years we were kind of more on like doubling every three months. And so you can kind of extrapolate the line in between of how it's, how the growth has been. You know, it's probably a quick little logistic regression to figure out what the curve looks like, but it's been, it's been pretty consistent. You know, the, the nice thing about that, of course, is that because we've always seen steady growth, it's also means we've never seen like the kind of viral implosion that you see in some places where it's like, you know, you take off really fast and then all of a sudden like the, it crashes when somebody, when the, when the, the target group moves on, which also has meant though that we've kind of had this constant sustained pressure to kind of keep the tech stack working and improve it and iterate it and make sure that we can actually deal with tomorrow's traffic, which is always going to be greater. Right. It can be a huge challenge. And so when you were back at Reddit in 20, what is it, 2015, 2016? 2016. Yeah, so 2015 started dabbling and then 2016 was kind of full speed ahead, back on full time. Okay, and how big was the company at this stage? At that point, we were at around 70 people. And so that was mostly mostly based out here in San Francisco with a small but mighty contingent in New York uh, doing sales and also another even tinier contingent in LA also doing sales. And so at that point, I think engineering was probably all of 30 people. Now that said, for me, that was like the biggest I'd ever seen Reddit by far because prior to 2010, there was never more than about five engineers. And so the idea of like, oh my oh my goodness, we have the luxury of 30 people, just fantastic. And from that point on, it's been just kind of rapid growth. So we're currently at about 750 globally. We've since opened offices in Chicago and Dublin, and we just actually kicked off in London just, just a couple of months ago, if I remember right. And you know, engineering is a good half of that across all of our teams. Engineering product and design probably is about 350, give or take. So it's a very, very different, very different scale. Wow. Okay. So you hired close to 300 people, 300 engineers in what, three years, right? Yeah, give or take three, three or four years. Well, probably more than that when you take into account the fact that uh, you know people move on in the meantime. But yeah, it's been a yeah, pretty yeah, successful right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So you know, a couple of VPs, <laughs> got a bunch of lots of directors. Uh, it's been a, it's been it's been a fun challenge. Cool. And if we look at recruiting now and building the team, so you could probably give a lot of career advice yourself and you reached that position and that will be interesting as well. <laughs> but now let's think of other founders, other CTOs of VP engineering listening to us. So what's the main advice that you'd give to someone hiring engineers today? You know, I think my advice is going to depend a little bit on scale of company. And I think that when you're you know, not to suggest that every hire isn't to some extent essential to the business, because they are. And in fact, one of the nice things about our current positioning of being, you know, 
we're talking about 700 people, which sounds sounds large even to me. But honestly, like given our reach and our size, it's, you know, we still have a fair amount of every person has a huge impact, right? At our size, when you're smaller, you know, every employee can almost be sink or swim. You really need to have that initial group of people kind of be very focused on the mission, very focused on the on the growth of the business. And the trick is to keep that alive as long as you can. You know, at some point, if you have the luxury of being a big company and you can worry about things like management structure and organization and organizational design, then you kind of made it, <laughs> at least as your first pass as a, as, a, as a technology leader. But that those early days where you have to make sure that like everything is covered and you have to basically decide like what's essential, it's, it's really sink or swim with your hires. One bad apple spoils the bunch is the, is the aphorism that fits here. It's like, you know, one, if you have the, a bad hire in your first 10, that means 10% of your company is in trouble. That's not a good spot to be in. Okay. And how do you avoid those bad hires then? How do you find the top performers? Do you have a secret sauce here in the assessment, in the interviews? You know, I wish I had a secret sauce. I would say that I think that one thing that is actually really critical is the cultural component. Like, I think that we put a lot of emphasis as technology leaders into kind of like looking for looking for the next like kind of badass hire, looking for the person who's going to like, you know, really scale the team up and push hard on something. And those people are decidedly essential, but you also have to make sure that they don't operate by demotivating the rest of your team. You know, I remember when I got early into this, there used to be this whole mythos around the 10x engineer, you know, those people who basically, I believe they write code by directly imprinting on the DRAM. Like they don't actually use a keyboard because that would sully the perfect vision that they have for how they write. And the, those people do exist. And I've, I've you know, met a bunch over my times and the, the overlap between those people and people who are also kind of like humble experts is not as big as you would like. And, it, you know, again, it's, it's like, it's a question of like stage of company. I think early on when everyone's operating autonomously and kind of lone soldier and like able to pick an area and, and excel there, that's when you really do need to have the kind of heavy hitters in place, like people who know what they're doing and who are going to not be, be distracted. As you grow, you've got to start getting people who actually are going to have an impact to the entire team, not just to their own you know, their own output. And that's when things start to shift around. That's when you start seeing things like the old guard, new guard splits that appear in older companies, where it's like, you know, those first 50 employees have a slightly different ethos than the, than the next 150. And you have to kind of like account for that as you start hiring. That's why little things like management appear as being a critical component. It's not the people who need to be told what to do. It's that humans are messy. Humans are the worst Turing machines imaginable. From my experience as an engineer, I have to say, it's like, give them clear instructions and then somehow don't follow, like the tape doesn't move. What happened? Uh, <laughs> Right. So humans are messy. There's a lot of biases in the recruiting. There's a lot of human errors and not everything can be automated in recruiting. So that's probably one of the biggest challenge, especially when you're hiring engineers, when you're an engineer yourself. So what's your biggest surprise when you had to scale the team from 30 engineers to 300 engineers? What didn't you expect and what was the biggest surprise as the CTO? I mean, like, this is a little, little trite, but honestly, the, I think I mentioned a little bit too, like the value of management, like there is actually a skill, you know, speaking as somebody who, you know, I spent the first half of my career as kind of like a more of an IC architect. And I think there was a shift when I kind of came back to Reddit in 15, 16, where I kind of got dragged into being a full-time manager, somewhat kicking and screaming. I've described my career path as being almost like whatever the inverse of a land grab is, where it's like, here, Chris, you're doing great with those teams. So we have another, it's like, great, cool. I'll figure this out then. You know, management is a skill. It's not the same kind of step in your career ladder as a technologist as, as I think, you know, cranking up in your ability to code or like architecture or building out. And so like any skill, it has to be invested in. And also like any skill, you have to kind of learn by doing. So I think the value in, you know, in the same way that one, you know, kind of alluded to one bad apple can, can spoil the bunch early on. 
the impact of a bad manager is just outmoded to compare it to their, you know, their their composition of the team, right? Because now you're talking about like they've not only messed up their own career, they've messed up an entire team in the process. And of course, that just kind of that kind of goes up. Not to entirely emphasize the the downside here. I think the I think the inverse is that what I, you know I really should say this as like hiring a fantastic manager, a fantastic director is one of those things that just it just it pays dividends. Like you get a team that you thought was effective, and you find out that actually they were barely operating on all cylinders, and they just you know you you get those moments of almost you know, I think what I miss being an IC is I don't get those moments of kind of like beautiful code or like that kind of like you build this thing and it kind of works the first time. Because first of all, it never works the first time. Uh, <laughs> but we all pretend it does, but it never works the first time. You do see that with orgs as well, where you hire somebody who kind of knows what they're doing or you kind of get it in a setup and like you just see people operating it at full capacity and it's great. Yeah. And so you can learn by doing, obviously. And you also mentioned that you can invest in this skill. How did you do that? Do you have any good reads to recommend or tricks or frameworks or how would you recommend investing in this? <laughs> Definitely reading is one part of it. I mean, I think like one of the good and bad parts about management is that everybody thinks that they're an expert and writes a book on it. And so separating out the good from the bad is difficult. This is a case where honestly getting mentorship is really important. Like making sure to actually seek out mentors who've done it before is critical because these are things where you can't at least with software engineering, you can mostly kind of like figure it out live, you know, alone at your computer. When you're talking about management, you're talking about people and their lives and their complicated stories. And so you need a framework to be able to think in and you need to actually be able to do it, to kind of do it as you learn it as you go. And so finding somebody who's actually already done it or having a, having a senior leader, you can actually kind of pick, you know, tap for questions is, is very essential. One of the books I did really like, especially as I, was, as I was kind of growing up as a director, is a book by Ben Horowitz, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Yeah. And it's just fantastic. And I, I think it's fantastic. It's more fantastic after you've already been in the deep end of the pool, because it's like a reminder that no matter how bad it is, it could be much, much worse. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's always hard to make tough decisions, and there's always going to be more tough decisions. So you have to get a kind of figure it out. Well, I love that book as well. And among all these ocean of management books, is there another one that you recommend? I don't know if there are specific things for engineering or... You know, I am a fan of also the conscientious leadership approach. It's kind of grown on me over time. I think that it's also one of those things where, you know, I'd also add the, add the asterisk here of like, the first time reading some of the books that I think I've kind of taken and, and internalized, I don't think they had the same impact on me as, as the second read. And that's just also a sign of like, you do have to kind of mature in, in your craft to kind of really get where the tricks are. So I think for conscientious leadership, you know, the main focus on kind of curiosity being the cornerstone of kind of how you think about the world and like asking questions from a place of genuine curiosity as, a, as an essential component. That didn't really resonate until, you know, I think much later in my career when, when you start seeing that like, oh, hey, cool, I actually do have biases and I have personal experience and I have things that are going to cloud my judgment. And so, you know, let's, let's go into this assuming the good intent on the part of the person who I'm talking to and, and kind of going from there. Right, okay. And there's two other books that we hear people recommend a lot. The first one is Radical Candor by Kim Scott. I don't know if you heard about this one. Radical Candor, I've had many people tell me I should read that book. It's actually been, I think it's one of those books that's been on my reading list for a little bit too long. So consider this another, another like fuel for the fire. I'll try and pop it further up on the, on the reading list. The other problem with having all of my books being digital these days is I don't realize how big my pile is because, uh, <laughs> it's like, cool. So you should switch to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll actually have Kim Scott on this podcast in a few weeks. So very looking forward to it as well. Oh, that's fantastic. 
So uh, conscious leadership, radical candor, the hard thing about hard things. Do you read any blogs or do you have, while you're there, any other recommendation, I don't know, podcasts or things that you'd recommend for? You know, it's funny. I think that this is one of those things that's this also changed for me in the last year is that having lost a commute in the process of kind mm. of being, being, being sheltered in place, initially it was kind of nice because it meant that, you know, well, if I lost my commute. It means I can actually like just kind of go to work and leave work. The flip side of that is I realized after about a month that my commute was the time when I would do all those things that were kind of like right. the read the book and listen to the podcast. And because, you know, I would commute and then I'd walk. And so I'd have this time to kind of like, you know, sit and sit and listen and think. And that's kind of fallen to the wayside, which I, trying to figure out a good way to recover. I think, I'll, I mean, honestly, the other thing that's uh, fallen to the wayside, to be totally frank, is like exercise. Jeez, it's a lot harder these days. <laughs> I don't know if I'm having that problem. I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say that I have not gained any weight during COVID. I am unhappy to say that I have not lost any either. So I think I've just become like a Wagyu steak. <laughs> well marbled. But yeah, no, I think in terms of podcasts, I haven't been listening to as many recently as I used to, is the problem. I used to start my day actually, honestly, leaving, listening to the BBC, getting their like, you know, the radio um, broadcast. Used to be a big fan of, uh, I'm just going down the list, like, I always love Freakonomics just for like this, the little the little vignettes and little bits of, of useful information that kind of like turned into like, oh, this is a book I should read. Radio Lab, same category for me. For the development of like, you know, personal skills. I'm trying to think what I, what I was also listening to. Those definitely the top contenders for like, you know, just, just mostly like broadening horizons, I think was the approach I took with podcasts, you know? And so the last thing you mentioned is getting mentors. How would you do these? So it's probably no much easier to talk to people, but when you were at the beginning, when Reddit wasn't known, how did you find your first mentors? How do you engage with them? What do you tell them? How do you find those people? I know this is unsatisfying for your listeners probably, but just for two, just good old fashioned, like fortuitously, like just kind of, and you know, this is kind of like the value to me of just getting out and like going to conferences as well. Just like meeting people. Mm. You know, I think, I think that not every, not every interaction has to be transactional. And sometimes you meet somebody who you end up reencountering years later that you find out that all of a sudden, like you can strike up a friendship or strike up a, a professional relationship where that might not, might have happened before. I think that you can't really underplay the amount of value and serendipity, to be totally honest. You know, opportunities and fortuitous connections happen out of nowhere. I think the more scaled approach, honestly, is like, you know, th things that I currently do. There is an SFCTO club that I joined a couple years ago. It's just been fantastic. And in part, it's because like the organization of it is, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely combination of like a good talking series, a good breakfast club, a good dinner club. Back in the before times where we went out to breakfast and dinner. And it's a great chance to kind of like, kvetch and chat with people of similar experience because i think that the cto job is one that is always a little bit undefined i think i, I think most c-level jobs fall into that category of you're kind of doing what needs to be done at any given time and so finding a finding a good support group is a good way to also find group you know good connections to mentors find people who are further along than you are and therefore be able to tap their expertise because you know you can solve a lot of things just by brute force doing it yourself but honestly it's better to find somebody who's actually done it before to kind of get some advice you can at least get a shortcut or you can find some of the pitfalls you fall into. And I'm always surprised to see the extent to which people are happy to help if you just ask them. You just send them an email and people will reply. I've been surprised about this time and time again. I think that's actually the underpinnings of why Reddit as a platform works. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you know, what I've learned over the years from being on Reddit for I mean, 15 years on Reddit, that's kind of crazy to say, is that, um, hey, on average, people are actually kind of interesting and funny and curious and or, you know, at the very least, just want to be left alone to do their thing and like read and enjoy. And a lot of the work that goes into a platform of our size is just kind of making sure that the 
that those 1% of bad apples don't spoil it for everyone else. And do you actually use Reddit itself for recruiting? Do you post your jobs on the subreddit or is it any good for sourcing, especially engineers? Not as much as I'd like to. I think that actually we did that a lot in the early years. In fact, if anything, it was a lot easier in the early years where we had like precious few jobs uh, posted. I remember at one point, you know, we didn't have very many job openings in the early years and we hired an employee who's now been at the company for, for more than a decade. And I have this great picture that I love of, of just like us like trying to sort through this stack of like 500 resumes we got for this one job. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, laying around the floor. The flip side is I, the inverse of that is that, like one place we have actually sourced pretty aggressively on platform is interns. So we started doing internships three years ago, I want to say. And that first batch of interns, oh my God, like I I was, so speaking as somebody who did actually, so I went to Harvard. Harvard has like notoriously tight interviewing and like the pool is always huge and the number of slots is always small. I think we had something like 6,000 resumes for like six slots. <laughs> and so it was just like the initial winnowing pass was just the hardest of like all these fantastic people applying for this small number of internships. And we've since increased our pool and like we've, but ultimately the, the launch was just a blog post by me on Reddit. So you had to hire 300 engineers in three years in San Francisco. So probably one of the most competitive places in the world for tech talent. How did you do it? Did you have to write a lot of blog posts? Do you have an engineering blog? How do you create this engineering employer brand? Because the employer brand for Reddit is uh, already here, right? That's already already something that's done. Don't have to work more on this, but then there's the um, engineering employer brand, right? Yeah. So in, in our case, we've had kind of a low-key blog for a while, a tech blog, that actually I kind of constantly want to, want to see more fuel add to the fire. You know, it's like the hard part with the, with the tech blog for us right now is like, we've got so much that we're doing and we're building so much that it's always, it's kind of like hard to find time mm-hmm. to write about it write about it. I remember one of the, one of those lessons I kind of learned early in school was like the ones that are writing the books aren't the ones that are doing the active research. <laughs> you have to like, you know, you have to kind of like, if you're in the middle of the, the thing, you're not writing up uh, how to do the thing. You know, that doesn't mean we can't actually spend some time to be deliberate and actually write up write up more of our learnings wherever possible. But I will say that honestly, the inverse of that is like, because we run a social platform, we can kind of show what we're doing. And also the third thing that is a, a still a, a very big strategic advantage for us is the fact that we are relatively small. So, you know, for us, we opened a brand new office in, in, in Dublin last year. And that office is up to uh, up to a good 35 people, which is, you know, for us is fantastic. That's a drop in the bucket for the tech talent in Dublin, right? And so, you know, we kind of have the luxury of being able to be kind of picky and like have people kind of come to us in these situations where we're opening something new. Now, that's that's definitely not the case anymore in SF where it's a, you know, tight hiring market. And we have to actually, you know, I don't want to, by the way, underplay this like, oh, yeah, we just kind of like resumes just come to us. It's like, no, we have like a really good recruiting team that also spends a lot of time like sourcing and looking for things, looking for good people, looking for talent. And it takes a fair amount of active work to hire at the rate that we're looking to hire. Right, so it's proactive sourcing, engaging with with passive candidates. Proactive sourcing, you know, reaching out as much as possible. I think that you know, I find the best way, honestly, again, to to meet talent is like I, I do miss the days where I could actually go to a conference and kind of meet people in person. is great. It's a great way to get people giving talks. I do enjoy that. Talking on platform, just kind of like you know, talking about technology, is something I actually enjoy. Like I got, that's that's the part of the career that I love the most. Doing technology, being a technologist, and so you know, kind of showing by example that you know what we're doing and being able to to rep for all the work that my team is doing is really what kind of gets me going. And then you know, so at the moment, it's it's also like word of mouth referring. You know, as as we kind of grow, we we have a, a broader base of people that we're connected to that we kind of use as a as a means to also grow the team. And again, can't say enough nice things about our recruiting team. Just just a fantastic group of people who are very talented, and of course our hiring managers who put a lot of a lot of time and effort into growing our team. How big is the recruiting team today? 
I have to double check. We actually just grew it really fast to kind of ramp up for the year. So I want to say that if you kind of go all in, sourcers, sources, recruiters, and the like, we're at about 20 people, which is a good a good chunk. And of course, you know, the, the tricky part is we're, we're talking about our target for this year is probably about a good 50% growth. And so wow. just a lot of time is going to have to be spent by everybody in, in recruiting and sourcing. Yeah, interesting to see this multiple. So 20 people for a team of uh, 750. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, congrats for the last 15 years then at Reddit. Looking forward to the next year. Let's keep that growth and let's keep that 50% growth in the team. Thanks a lot for sharing your tips. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Any final word? No, other than, you know, it's been a fun ride. And like I said, I think the best thing about being a CTO has been that every day is a little different <laughs> because the, uh, the job is intrinsically what you make it. Yeah, people become CTOs. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thanks for listening to that podcast till the end. If you're still with us, it's probably that you enjoy the players. A Players is brought to you by myself and Hire Suite. We are building a sourcing automation software and we already help 900 tech companies hire the best talents. To know more about us, go to www.hiresuite.com or you can add me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive and always happy to chat. The more subscribers, the best guests will host. You want to help? You can do a lot in less than 10 seconds. Please subscribe to that podcast, leave us a nice rating or review, and share the podcast around you. That really, really helps. Thanks a lot and talk to you soon.